and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, relationships, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. I'm so excited about today's show, and we have some fantastic guests lined up for you today as we are exploring the world of fitness and exercise. Peak performance, nutrition for athletes is our topic today here on An Organic Conversation. And although we will be talking with some extremely fit guests today, the show will inspire, we hope, anyone of any age to get in great shape this summer. Peak performance, nutrition for athletes today on An Organic Conversation. Yeah, Helga, I know that you work out several times a week and you also do yoga. And I know that protein is a very big part of your diet. Yes. But I'm really interested to find out what else you can do at, at either as an athlete or just a just leading somewhat of an active lifestyle you can do to maintain you know optimum health with your diet yeah and there's the the protein question in in fitness and in um you know in, in sports is a big topic of course which one what is enough our first guest is an extreme athlete, and he actually is vegan. So this will be fascinating. Is yes, I'm. I'm particularly interested in, in hearing this too because I have been. Um, I have a strong yoga practice, but I only recently started a strong cardio practice too, and I am vegan. So the protein thing always a question for vegans, but even more so on my mind now about what is the right amount of protein and what are the right combinations because it's not just about what's the everyday balance. Now it's for a really active lifestyle. So I'm excited to hear from an expert. Yes. <laughs> You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll take a quick break, but stay tuned for our first interview with an extreme athlete, ultramarathoner Scott Urek. Our topic today is peak performance, nutrition for athletes. We will ponder the protein question in great depth among, among many other aspects of optimal nutrition for athletes and non-athletes alike, including the caveat that Scott is actually a vegan. So more on that when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is peak performance nutrition for athletes. It's June, and this is the time to enjoy the outdoors. Go on a trail run or hike in the mountains. Start with yoga, as Mark just did, or swim in the lake nearby that very soon will be warm enough. Whatever exercise may be appropriate for you, and whatever age we may be, our personal fitness defines to a fair degree our quality of life. Our ability to move and be active, however restricted it may be, is an important component of health and well-being. And nutrition, as it does in every other aspect of life, plays a huge role in it. From the right amount, the right kind of protein, to the right timing of other nutrients, what you eat can significantly help you get or stay in your best shape this summer. So whether you are a top athlete or not, this show is to motivate you to move and have fun doing it. With us now calling in from Boulder, Colorado, is Scott Urich, who moves a lot, and I mean a lot, as he is a nationally known ultra-marathoner. Actually, I will make that a world-known ultra-marathoner and a vegan ultra-marathoner. Ultraman I can't even say it. I can't even run it, but I can't even say it. And a vegan ultra marathoner on top of that. Scott, so great to have you with us. Thank you for being part of the show today. Thank you for having me. Scott, what does it mean to be an ultra marathoner? People, you know, have heard of the ten Ks and the five Ks. A marathon is twenty six miles. What is an ultra marathon? What are the lengths that you are running and what kind of physical fitness requirements come with that? Well, basically, the definition of an ultramarathon is anything over the distance of a regular marathon. Um, they typically start at 50 kilometers, 31 miles, and go all the way up to 50 miles, 100 miles, 
even beyond that, there are some events that are point-to-point, that, such as the Spartathlon, which I've won three times, which covers 153 miles. There are timed events, which I have set the American record for, 165 miles in one day. So it, uh, it varies. Some are on trails, some are on uh, roads, some are mountainous terrain. It's, it's really a mix and uh, just depends on what type of event you want to do. And there are aid stations along the way, much like a marathon or half marathon, and uh, runners get their fuel that way and stay on course with course markings. Yes, and yeah, you, you just... truly an adventure. You, you, you just threw those in. I want to um, spend a little <laughs> bit more time on that. So, for example, the um, Spartalon in Greece... Uh, is a you know one of the oldest known races. It brought the message of peace to the city of Sparta um, in the ancient Greece, allowing the city to not evacuate but to stay. And the the messenger who brought that message of peace of the successful battle that was won actually died because of exhaustion because he had run um, that 153 mile course to to bring that message to the people. You have run that race. It's a 153-mile race through the heat of Greece, and you have not just run it, you have won it three times. What is that like? What is it like for an American to go to Greece, run the oldest known race in mankind, and win it three times? Oh, it's it's definitely one of my most memorable accomplishments. I mean, the the beauty of the countryside, the, the rich culture, the food, um, just the, the people themselves have this uh, ancient... Um, spirit of endurance, uh, spirit of of peace, of goodwill to others, and uh, you, you see that even though Greece is not a country known for its uh, distance runners these days, um, the people just really rally behind the event, um, embrace the runners, and you know they they treat us like warriors, like Olympians, those that are are bringing this great message. And over 35 countries are represented. It's it's truly an amazing event. Peace when, event. When, when I get down those streets of Sparta when I'm finishing that race, I mean, there's really no other feeling like it. And that's what a lot of people ask, you know, how can you do these races? But it's that feeling, um, you, you go through all the struggle, the discomfort, um, the times when you say, why am I doing this? But then when you get down to that finish line and experience, you know, the joy and just the fireworks going off <laughs> in your body, mind, and soul, it's, it's pretty incredible. So I have to step back here a second, Scott, is I had, I was teaching a leadership seminar a few years ago, and one of the participants said, oh, I'm going to go out for a run. And I said, oh, you five miles or something? He says, no, I usually do like 50. And I said, what? And so my question to you is, you know, I mean, Helga goes out, and he'll take a five-mile run or something like that. I, I understand that. But where does it go from a five-mile run to <laughs> A hundred and fifty mile run. I mean, what 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 brings someone to to do that? Well, if uh, if you're like me and you're twenty years old and you have a crazy buddy who uh, basically dares you to to run this race after he's run it once, um, you uh, show up for your first marathon and then a month later decide you you want to run fifty miles. And uh, it happens, you know, for all types of reasons. Uh, I mean, that's the the great thing about the sport. You have people who've never run a step before coming off the couch. You know some cases, 100 pounds, 150 pounds overweight, some people who have been in other sports, um, those who have maybe run a marathon looking for the next challenge. And it just all depends on what, I guess, the drive is. But there's that desire to just, you know, see what it what it's all about. And when you go through the experience of running an ultra marathon, um, it really changes your life. It changes your outlook. It, yeah, you come back a different person for sure. To what? How does it, how does it change, if you can put that in? Yeah, well, it, it teaches it teaches the runner, and it's taught me that struggles in life um, are completely doable. That no matter how difficult of a situation I get into in life, I can get through it because I've tackled this challenge of an ultra marathon. Um, it teaches me how to take care of my body. It helps me realize it's more than just running that I'm doing out there. I'm, you know exploring the limits of my physical body, but also my mental capabilities and my mind, um, and something else deep down, consciousness. And you're, just, you're in conversation, Lily. <laughs> yes, definitely. It's, it's truly, um, yeah, it's, it's not something that ends when you, when you finish the race. It's, it's learning constantly about how I can change. And it opened up my eyes to a lot of things, including, you know, what can be done as far as with becoming 
a better, well-rounded, well individual for from a say nutrition standpoint and just has changed my outlook on life. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it inspired you to make a lot of compassionate choices, which we're going to touch on. I know uh, because I've I've done some reading with your book, but um, you were not a vegan when you started ultra marathoning, and uh, that's correct. That is correct. I I grew up. Uh, I was basically a, a backwoods Minnesota hunting and fishing boy <laughs> who uh, <laughs> later uh, ate a lot of fast food in college when I left the house. But um, I definitely grew grew up in the woods, so to speak, and off the land and, yeah, completely different from where I am now. So what inspired you to go vegan and, and how has your performance been affected by that transition? The, the big issue that I've realized I needed to change was um, I grew up with my mother having multiple sclerosis, dealing with a chronic uh, disease in my family, very close at a young age. And I started working in a hospital during my physical therapy training and just realizing no matter how hard I worked from the neurological and the muscular side of things to get patients healthier um, and seeing what they ate in the hospital and realizing that there's so much more to health. Um, And then I came across Dr. Andrew Weil's book, Spontaneous Healing, after just picking up a magazine at a, uh, a grocery store and started reading his book. And it was just a real revelation to me that there's so much more to healing and that the body has this innate ability to heal itself if we just give it the tools. And nutrition is a key uh, tool to keep us healthier. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us on the phone from Boulder, Colorado, is ultramarathoner Scott Urek, an extreme athlete who has pretty much tackled every long-distance race and actually won most of them. Scott, talking about veganism, Sita had that question, when you shifted that approach, what did you feel in your body? And um, that, you know, the, the, the number one question in um, in sports is protein. How do you, what's your take on protein? How important is it? And how do you as a vegan tackle that challenge to get enough? Or do we not need as much? Yeah, for me, I, you know, I did it for long-term health reasons. I wasn't expecting to see a lot of uh, performance benefits. But then after giving my body the proper fuel and allowing it to, I guess, you know, give it the building blocks that it needed to repair itself, I was able to train harder. I bounced back from workouts quicker. I felt like I had more energy, and I continue to have a lot of energy. I'm, I'm one of the older guys now. Uh, some of the, the, the guys or youngsters I train with, and you know, being 38 years old, um, a lot of people are always surprised that they can't believe that I'm that old, and I've done a lot to my body and accomplished a lot. But as far as the protein issue, um, it is the big question. But um, you know, being a meat and potatoes boy from Minnesota and hunting and fishing, I uh, I really it was a huge mental hurdle for me. And I think that's the key thing that protein gets all the attention. People are always worried about it, and. To be quite honest, um, once I got over that mental hurdle, it wasn't an issue at all. And there's plenty of protein sources. The key thing that I do is I don't look at what I can't eat, but what now I can eat. And all of these new foods opened up to me and just my horizons were expanded. So it, it wasn't an issue of like, oh, I can't eat a X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, I can eat all these other great foods. And protein, you just have to find it. Now, it's not always easy. Um, <laughs> Eating, eating certain places, but uh, yes. you learn how to be a modern-day uh, forager. So, so walk us through what a typical day's meals look like for you. How do you structure your day and your meals to get the nutrients that you need? And what is the difference when you're in training versus when you're at race time? I, you know, for me, it's structurally, I do look a little bit at the macronutrients. So even though I said, you know, protein isn't a big issue, I try to think about where am I getting protein, fat, and carbohydrate in my diet. Um, and I've got that pretty down where I just think of like breakfast. It might be a smoothie with some pea protein or brown rice protein powder in there just to repair from a morning workout. Um, it has lots of fruit mixed in with some omega-369 um, fatty acids and some things such as, you know, replacing salt through miso and that. And then adding you know, sometimes it's a whole grain, sometimes it's oatmeal, barley flakes, um, sometimes it's a sprouted grain toast, um, spreading some almond butter on that to get a little bit of extra fat and protein. 
And then for lunch, it, it revolves usually around a large salad, um, nuts and seeds, um, some oil as well on that um, for a fat source. And then usually something like legumes, beans, lentils, split peas, um, over a grain, whole grains, typically like brown rice, quinoa, um, any of those. And then for dinner, uh, and I do some snacking mixed in there as well, but for dinner it might revolve around another staple protein source such as tempeh, tofu. Those are the dense protein sources that have been consumed by uh, people in Asia for centuries. And then sometimes potatoes, another whole grain source, and then steamed vegetables or another salad. So it's really not complicated. It's a lot easier than most people think. How did you find out what's working for you? Because, you know, even though I hear you say that can be done vegan and certainly for you, is this something you think anyone can follow as a general guideline? Like what, what was your path to find out what's the most optimal diet for you? Well, I read a lot of books. <laughs> Definitely the, you know, when I decided to go uh, just partial vegetarian and then vegetarian to vegan, uh, believe it or not, the Internet was just being born. So um, there weren't all these great <laughs> websites and information at one's fingertips. So I read a lot of books. I experimented. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, and it was a great learning process. I think engaging in that learning process is something that is worth the time. A lot of people say, well, it's going to take a little extra effort. But it's really worth it because as an athlete, I was now able to pay attention to something that I didn't pay attention to before, which was my diet. I and, didn't think of that as an important piece. And truly listening to your body and how it reacts after certain foods, right, with certain foods. Which you have a lot of time to do while you're Definitely. running. <laughs> and it, it's a huge mental uh, com component, too, to, you know, to, when you have that psychological edge of I know exactly what I'm putting into my body, I'm preparing it. I mean, all of that emphasis goes into basically providing great fuel for my body so I have the confidence when I go out there on race day, when I go out on a training run, that I know I'm going to be sufficiently fueled. We're speaking with Scott Urich, ultra-marathoner and extreme athlete extraordinaire, the author also of his new book, Eat and Run, and we want to talk about that book and your upcoming book tour in just a minute. Stay with us, Scott. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helder. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic today is optimal fitness, nutrition for athletes. More on that when we come back right after the break. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is peak performance, nutrition for athletes. Whether or not you're an extreme athlete or you just like to enjoy the outdoors, this show is to look at our diets to make sure that this summer we're in the best shape we could be. With us today is Scott Urich, an ultramarathoner and perhaps one of the greatest endurance runners of our time, who's joining us from Boulder, Colorado, to speak about his new book, Eat and Run. Scott, we talked about your diet right before the break. When you train with 
younger runners right now, and I know you're doing like running clinics all over the place and you're a sought after trainer. When you apply your wisdom, how about diet? Are you suggesting to any runner that they should try a vegan diet or what, what is the alternative um, if somebody wants to integrate animal protein? I, I'm definitely, the way I look at it is I, <laughs> the way I grew up, I don't think I would respond very well to you know, somebody shoving it down my throat and telling me how I should eat. So I always try to be sympathetic <laughs> to that because yes. I'm somebody who grew up hunting and fishing. I hated vegetables and I hated running and I transformed my life. I think that's really the key message. So I like to take a, a softer approach and lead by example. Um, I always have people over. I let them try the food I'm eating, and everybody's just like, gosh, this tastes so good, and man, if I could eat like that all the time, I think I'd go vegan. And that's really my approach is to let people um, absorb it in the manner that's best for them. Some people have told me that after reading about me, they decided to go vegan or seeing what I've done on a vegan diet, they decided one day to switch. And that works for somebody great. I've had other people say, you know, I'm just eating vegetarian, vegan once a week. And that's great too. So I, the more, I guess, people can be aware of what they're putting into their mouth, eating lower on the food chain as much as possible, to me, that's, that's success. And they're going to start realizing the dramatic effects and eventually they'll go uh, vegan. So yeah, with uh, the young guys that I train with, um, I don't require them to, to be vegan nor to train, nor do I. At least not in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> and, and so Scott, I mean, you, this works for you as an ultra marathoner. Do you have any opinion or do you feel like it could work for someone who's physically active in a different capacity, such as someone who's doing boxing or weightlifting or those types of things? Definitely. And it's proven there are, there are even, vegan ultimate fighters right now um, and multiple on the uh, the pro circuit and we're talking heavyweights we're not talking uh, lightweights so um, and, and any bodybuilder will tell you it's calories that builds muscle um, any strength athlete power sport athlete it's the calories that matter more than anything else obviously you have to be consuming adequate protein which can totally be done on a a vegan diet. You can't eat um, Twinkies and Mountain Dew, of course, and, and do that. But when it comes down to it, it's it's really just about putting the calories in. And so any sport, and there are num numerous professional you know, hockey players, baseball players out there who are vegan, believe it or not, in the U.S. And uh, we're seeing we're seeing things shift. So we talked a lot about food. Now we want to talk a little bit about drink because there are a lot of sports drinks on the market that have all kinds of sugar in them. And I'm curious if you, what it is that you use to stay hydrated, to balance your electrolytes. And I mean, obviously water, and I know you talked about salt and miso as things that help to replenish electrolytes. But other than water, what, what do you favor for really great hydration? And, and actually, I want to chime in there very quick and just say that um, – Scott Urick, our guest today, set a new American record for running the most number of miles. Um, this is <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, the most number of miles in a 24-hour period. Um, Scott, you didn't sleep in between, right? You ran consecutively 24 hours from start to finish, or did you have breaks? Like, how, how does this work? That is correct. I didn't even, you know, the only breaks I took were to go to the bathroom. Sure. And I literally ate on the run. I mean, including some miso soup. <laughs> I'm kind of running by, sucking down some noodles and some uh, broth. But uh, there's just no time to stop when you're trying to run at that pace. And to give the listeners an idea, that's essentially six and a half marathons in one day run at a little faster than four-hour marathon pace. So, yes, that means um, in your 24 hours, uh, you finished at 165.7 miles. And the 0.7 are, you know, seem funny in, when you say 165, but I, I know I've done a couple of marathons myself, how that last 0.7 actually matters <laughs> Definitely. quite a bit at that point. Do you know how much liquid you went through in 24 hours? What's the total amount of hydration that you needed for that race? I, I was putting down in the neighborhood of 30 ounces per hour. Sometimes it dropped maybe down to 20 ounces um, when I was running a little slower paces um, into the late hours of the night and towards the end. Um, and so the body can function in a slightly dehydrated state, so to speak. Um, our body can still function at 2 3% is where we start to notice changes in heart rate, so the heart rate will go up. So that's why you'll, you'll see top elite marathoners sometimes barely take a drop of water on a, a cool 
marathon day, and that's because they're they're hovering around that two three percent. But once you go over three percent, then you start seeing huge uh, differences. And for ultra marathoners, it's huge. In fact, at a lot of races, they weigh you every. 15, 20 miles to make sure that you're, you're not losing too much weight. For instance, in Badwater, uh, which is running 125 degree heat of Death Valley, I was consuming close to 60 fluid ounces an hour, which is three normal bike bottle um, size water bottles. So um, in that case, it's just, you know, the conditions and what the demands are on the body really dictate how much you need to. Yeah, which, which for that 24 hour race translates into six gallons of water that you drank six gallons of water that you drank within 24 hours, roughly. So well, back to Sita's original yeah. question, what do you use? What, what, how can you make sure your electrolyte, like what's the magic on hydration? Yeah, so I use a mix of both sports drinks, electrolyte drinks. Um, I'm using Cliff Shot Drink, which is a, a mixture of various sugars, because surprisingly, you do need sugar when you're doing endurance events. That's the one time that I'll you know, use these more processed-type foods. Um, so sports drinks and gels work great, but I'm also doing straight water at times, uh, mixing that in. And then I do electrolyte capsules, which will give me anywhere from 300 to 350 milligrams of sodium per hour. Um, so I'll pop those in addition. And then I do, surprisingly, I'll do some things like rice milk with a little bit of uh, fermented soy protein powder. Um, there's actually in my book, Eat and Run, there's a couple of recipes. I've learned a lot from traveling around the world and racing in different places. So I like to incorporate miso into some of the recipes. You'll see like there's a, a green drink that I use that has spirulina, um, and it's got the sugars from mango and pineapple in it. There's a drink that is uh, homemade rice milk based, real easy to make, blended in a blender. And that has chia along with uh, coconut in it. And it's a really refreshing drink to uh, drink in if supplies uh, needed electrolytes. So you can, you can go with a variety of things. And that's what I try to do. I use sports foods, water, and then real foods mixed into a lot of my events and training. And that's a perfect segue into your book. Um, we're almost out of time, but Eat and Run came out. Where can people learn more about you, your philosophy, and your book tour. Where can they see, see you live? What's that? You have a website. Yes, they can go to scottjurek.com slash eat and run. And that'll be my book website, or they can just go to scottjurek.com. Great, scottjurek.com or scottjurek slash eat and run. And your book, you just described it. Lots of stories about your races, what you learned, um, recipes filled to the brim with important actually and not just for athletes kind of reading through your book it sounds like this is really about as much about the sport of ultra marathon as it is about the wisdom of life itself is that a correct description definitely definitely is i mean i think it's a story of transformation um, and learning and that's something i feel like anybody can learn from it's it's really about going out there each and every day and, and realizing you know, what can I learn from the world around me, um, whether it's in the mountains or whether it's at the table um, eating a good meal. Wonderful. That's beautiful. That's Scott Urek. Scott, good luck with your tour. Congratulations on your book and thank you for being on the show today. Wonderful to have you and we'll see you on the trails out there somewhere. Definitely. Watching we'll you, you watching you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Scott. That's Scott Urek, ultra marathoner and extreme athlete who joined us today from Boulder, Colorado, and his new book, Eat and Run. Check it out on whatever fitness level you may bite on right now. It's a fascinating story that Scott is telling of, as he just said, transformation and being a vegan extreme athlete. ScottUrek.com or ScottUrek hyphen eat and run. Com. And um, you're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we have another fascinating guest for you. Coming up on our show today, the topic is peak performance, nutrition for athletes. Whatever being an athlete means to you. We'll take a quick break. Actually, no, we're not. We have the weekly update from the grand world of produce from our very own produce expert, Mark Mulcahy, coming up. What's in season, Mark? And what's in season is a little bit different today. We are going to talk about everything that's coming up this summer and give you a lot of our favorites. But before we dive into that, I would like to get on the line with Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco, the voice of the market. Earl, 
What's going on out there? Morning, Mark. How Good morning. morning. Hi, Earl. <laughs> I don't see that. Hi, Good morning. Well, the, the market, the market's happening. Just, this is... This is the time. Know, I, I think I hear myself saying this about every <laughs> two or three weeks. It's, it, it's abundant. It's, you know, walking the market this time of year is is probably the one of the best times for this particular reason because everything's more abundant, because everything's more local. So the shipments are back-to-back. See, when it's coming from the desert and Mexico, shipments are going to be staggered every two days or so. But with local production, you're getting it every day. I mean, it's 50 to 200 miles away. Nice. And the, um, with, less, with the local deal, so there's less reliance on Mexico and, and, the, um, and the desert. So I'm seeing everything. Like, and, like what? What's, what's really perking right now? coming in is that was all the summer squashes so you're not you don't have to get it from mexico like i said and when i say squashes think zucchini and yellow crookneck and and patty pan and all the bunch greens now are are coming down in price because there's more production much more local and um there's all these varieties of lettuces so you know when you're walking down the street in the winter in the spring in the fall you're, you're going to see the red leaf the green leaf and the romaine but as this time comes on, all these smaller growers, all these local guys have their own particular red oak, red butter, all these wonderful different ones that are coming up. Yeah, well, Little the... gems? Or... So that's, that's, you nailed it. Ha-ha. Yay. Chef's dream. <laughs> and, and, and they're also much more tender as, mm-hmm. as you come into the, the summertime. You get more tender lettuce. A lot of the lettuce in the wintertime could be a lot tougher because it, it's grown farther away and it traveled and so on and so yeah. forth. So, Earl, we're coming into summer, and what I promised our, our listeners today was we were going to mention to them some of the things that they could put on their lookout for list. You know, when they're walking through their stores or their farmer's markets, what are some of our favorites that we, should, we want to recommend that they look out for as the season progresses? What what are what are a couple of years? I want to go back to that little little gem because that's one of one of the key ones. Now every every geographical area is going to have their little different ones, their little different varieties of lettuce. The I want to talk about the little gem because it it is this perfect little four inch tightly uh, compact uh, lettuce, which is crispy and tender at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's something that you only get when you are able to harvest it because it's not something that's going to ship. So when you walk through your produce department, make sure you look for, spend a little more time in the lettuce department because you're going to see different varieties, different little ones jumping at you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the The other varieties that I like are beans. This is the time where beans are much more local. In California, we're getting them local because we, you know, we have that great weather. And when you talk beans, you know, there's endless varieties. Every geographical area has them, but they're basically you have favas and romas and yellow wax, and you have flat beans and you got round beans. And then you know you can keep on going. Mm-hmm. My favorite is the round bean. And when you say round, you think Blue Lake or a striker, and those are, or even snap and snap beans and that's when that's how you really tell when they're fresh right mark mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah absolutely and so uh helga sita you guys have any favorites for the summer what are your favorites well i love talking about the little gems because shallot and dijon vinaigrette over little gems is like a perfect meal in and of itself so oh. exciting so people should really look out for a little gem lettuce helga i i i'm hooked on english peas right now it's okay. just it's almost the you know the chocolate bar substitute completely they are so perky there i've i've had already this year english peas that were the the pea was as big as your the nail on your ring finger I wow mean, like really yeah, beautiful uh-huh. juicy it's and you know you it's fun to pop them open you can like roll down your thumb you have a handful of little peas in your in the palm of your hand, you just pop them in, and by the time you're done chewing, you did that to the next one. It's like, and really, it, it's beautiful. I love it. And the great part of so eating, them, eating them now is that if you would wait till July, that at that size pea might be starchy. So, yes, but right now they're exactly. perfect. Still yeah, sweet. that's great. Wonderful, wonderful. And for, how about you, Mark? For my list, thank you, thank you, Hago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and for my list, I would say three things that if you can put on your lookout for lo- this lookout list this summer is I would put on crimson sweet watermelons. They're watermelons that have a light green undertone with a dark green stripe, and they're deep red inside, 
and they're just, it's a fine, it's a firm texture, but it's a fine texture. It almost breaks in your mouth um, almost as soon as you bite it, and it's just amazing. So look for a Crimson Sweet Watermelon. I'd also recommend that you look for my favorite tomato when it gets, when it's local to your area, and that's a black creme, K-R-I-M. Of course. Um, and it is kind of a smoky. Chocolatey. Well, I didn't get chocolate, but yes, for chocolate comes to you in peas and, and, and tomatoes. And uh, What is that? What's so up yeah, I get I get smoky and kind of sweet, salty. It's like, and it, and it slices up nice and firm. Look for a black creme. And lastly, one of my favorite peaches, if you can still find it, it's an O. Henry peach, which just signifies July, about the second or third week of July. It is yellow, it is chin drippy, and it is peach flavor. It's peachy, peachy, peachy. So those are what I would recommend that you look for this summer. And if you don't shop at the farmer's market, make sure it's brought to your supermarket by Earl's Organic Produce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to you, Earl. Um, well, thanks, Earl. Thanks for, for that update of what's going on in the world of produce. We'll have you back next sure. week. Great to hear what everybody likes. I'll see you all next week. <laughs> Thank you, Earl. I'll talk Take then. Bye. Bye. I wonder if we can petition Merriam-Webster <laughs> Dictionary to add chin drippy as an official adjective yes. credit Mark Mulcahy. <laughs> yes, we can. I think it's already adopted. <laughs> yes, you're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Halberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic today is peak performance nutrition for athletes. Um, we heard from Scott Urich in the first half of the hour, and with us now is Dr. Inette Larson-Meyer from the University of Wyoming. She's the Associate Professor of the Department for of Family and Consumer Science and also the Adjunct Professor for the Division of Kinesiology and Health. Welcome, Inette. Are you with us? I am. Thanks for it's, having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And what a sweet segue because you are the author of Vegetarian Sports Nutrition, Food Choices and Eating Plans for Fitness and Performance, which came out just a couple of years ago. And Scott Urick, I believe, wrote the, the preface. Is he that did. right? The intro? Yes, he did. So tell us about your, your daily work, your, your world of kinesiology and family and consumer science. What are you involved in and how does nutrition fit into all this? Well, what my background is, is I'm a registered dietitian, but my specialty is really helping people who are active and then also who are training for different events, you know, whether that be the Olympics, college level, or even just training for their first triathlon. Um, or even going to the gym regularly and having the right energy. So I really combine sort of the two fields, the exercise physiology with sports nutrition, and then can provide specific advice to those active and mm. active individuals and athletes. And how do the nutritional needs for active individuals or athletes vary from those of someone who is less active? You know, it's interesting. There really uh, overall aren't that big of a difference um, with, depends. Uh, the biggest thing is really calories or energy needs. And the harder, harder someone trains, obviously, the more energy that they need. And when energy needs increase, then so do some of the B vitamins. For example, they're tied to energy and helping the body actually tap into um, and get the calories from the food that we eat to sort of metabolize them. And then there's also other things. Athletes in heavy training do have slightly higher protein needs to help them recover from strenuous training, and then also higher carbohydrate needs, particularly if they're training hard every day. And then there's some nutrients like iron that are needed, or it's really thought that they're need, they're higher in athletes, but um, it really depends on the situation, what the athlete's doing, what their diet consists of, et cetera. But those are the, the major hmm. needs. And then, of course, fluids as well. So um, what are your thoughts about getting adequate nutrition from specialized diets such as vegan vegan or vegetarian or gluten-free? Or do, you, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I, one of the reasons why I wrote my book is because I think it's a misconception that if you go on a vegetarian or vegan diet that you're not going to get enough of nutrients. And protein is always the nutrient that, that comes out there. I used to be a sports nutritionist for... Uh, the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and I saw every vegetarian athlete because the coach or the trainer um, 
oh my gosh, you're, you're we're worried. Yeah. yeah, how are you going to get your protein? <laughs> yes. And it really is. It really is not difficult at all. It's just really thinking. I think a little bit about um, different about where how you're going to get your food choices if you're traveling. Um, in bigger cities, it's certainly easier to do that than smaller towns, but um, you just have to make um, different food choices and replace what you're leaving out, which might be, you know, the meat dairy, and or dairy products and eggs, and replace those with plant proteins. But um, it's it's not difficult at all. It's very easily done. Yeah, so Scott had the, the statement that literally he wouldn't shove anything down someone's throat, the, the young runners that he coaches and works with. But he is a clear supporter and advocate for, uh, you know, being on a vegan diet as an athlete. And he said even bodybuilders, um, you know, weightlifters, boxers can absolutely work off of a, a vegan diet. You don't have to have animal protein in your diet. And I work out personally quite intensively, but I switched back to animal protein. So do you think almost every body type or literally every body type and metabolism can and constitution can can thrive on a vegan diet I if it's done well? I definitely think that they could. Um, the desire, if you're going to be vegan, you have to be dedicated at least in the world that we live in here, to making those choices. Mm. Um, some people do enjoy having um, dairy products, cheese, um, eggs, and you have to have a reason, I think, to do that. You know, with animal rights, which is certainly um, admirable, or um, even environmental reasons, um, it certainly can be done. Um, it's a little bit easier the more animal protein you allow in your diet. You know, if you are consuming eggs and cheese and a little bit of milk here or there, um, you don't have to think quite as much about it. But but once you get in the routine, it's not like you think about it at all. It's really just sort of the transition phases where you have to realize when you're going over to somebody's house for a barbecue, oh, well, I have to bring something to eat. Or when I come home at night, um, I need to know what to cook. And the easiest thing for people to cook is throw a hamburger in, make some ground beef, cook a chicken breast. Um, and vegetarian recipes are, are very easy and simple, but um, you, you look for different foods, but you really just have to get in the routine, just like anything, like starting a new exercise program. So um, we were just talking about protein, but what about omega three, six, and 9? I mean, mm -hmm. I think isn't that a, an area where many people who – are eating a vegan or a vegetarian diet would have to make sure that they're getting enough of those things and not just one of them. And B vitamins too, because you mentioned how crucial those are and B12 in particular is not abundant in plant-based sources. Right, exactly. So B12 is indeed, I'm glad you brought that up and I'll address that first. That is the one true exception where it ha it's not found in a vegan diet. If you're consuming a vegetarian diet, you can easily get it with just a couple sources of, of dairy products easily um, or or egg. Um, and that needs to be supplemented. But there's um, one specific type of yeast, uh, nutritional yeast, not the yeast that we use to make beer or to make bread, but it's a specific kind of yeast. And that needs to be consumed or a multivitamin or many products now um, actually have vegan, I guess, vegan-oriented um, products have vitamin B12 in it. Um, so that's definitely true. The other B vitamins are found in a variety of different foods like thiamin S and riboflavin B6. And as long as your diet is varied and that you don't just eat one source and you're, ener and you're meeting your energy needs, you'll easily meet the needs of the other B vitamins. Um, the omega-3 uh, is really interesting because there is a lot of evidence that the omega-3s that are found in predominantly fish oils are really good for um, inflammation and a lot of other things for preventing disease. Um, what's really interesting is the, the shorter chains are found in some plant products, like walnuts are a good source. Um, canola oil is an excellent source. Um, of course, we I'll leave that alone for a little bit because we all know about the genetic modification of the corn oil and, I mean, the canola yes. oil. Um, but flax and even hemp seed oil are good sources of omega-3 short chain. And their research does suggest that individuals who don't consume a lot of long chains and also don't over-consume omega-6s that come from all the industrial oils like cotton, corn oil, that they will convert better, that they have the better ability to take the shorter chain omega-3s from plants and elongate them to the, the longer ones that 
a really anti have anti-inflammatory properties. But then when we step back from that for a second, all of that research is really done in predominantly meat eaters. And if you really look at a population who eats a predominantly vegetarian diet, does eating a lot of omega-3s, you know, does that really have an additional mm-hmm. benefit? And I don't think we know that. So what I really encourage people to do and then what I do myself is just to really eat a variety of those plant products, increase the omega-3s coming from, um, or the vegetable omega-3s. And again, that's flax, hemp, hemp seeds, walnuts, and canola, if that, you know, if that's desired oil, and then decrease all of those um, Omega sixes, yes, yeah, right. Because it's the proportion of the two. Yeah, sorry, the olive oil is omega nines, and so I also recommend olive oil as well. So, and so as a as a B twelve source again, um, nutritional yeast, specific nutritional yeast is the is the best source for a vegan. That's basically the the biggest question. They want to get it naturally, um, and not from a vitamin. There's even recipes for uh, making a pseudo macaroni and cheese or it's really just some pasta with the nutritional yeast on it and a couple of other things thrown in and um, it's actually quite good I haven't prepared it myself but I've had it before and it's like really nice it has a really nice smell and then you can also throw it in smoothies or on breakfast cereals and with oatmeal um, it's, it's actually definitely worth checking out even if you're not vegan just to see what it tastes like it's great yes we will yeah, and so you said that you think a lot of the reason why people um, are more likely to consume animal protein when they're when they're training or when they're active is because of the convenience of being able to get their protein. But have you have you worked with a lot of people who they actually feel better consuming animal protein? And, and what's your what's your feeling on that as far as um, fitness lifestyle? Oh, they feel better consuming animal protein. Yeah, yeah. Like they've tried both, but they feel like with the animal protein, their their bodies just feel and perform better. Mm-hmm. I I have not. Interestingly, my take is usually people from the the other end. They really are want to start eating more of a plant based diet, and um, maybe not even planning on being vegetarian. But many do. It's sort of the spectrum, and really helping people to eat more plants and of course you hear those stories from the majority of people that as soon as they start to eat more plant products um, limit or eliminate the meat from their diet that they actually feel like they they (laughs) have more energy right yeah and if you know if sometimes I think um, when you're thinking about vegetarian or plant-based diet some people do want um, the purest attitude well I don't eat meat at all but really when you're looking at health and environment, the best type of diet that we know that is going to prevent chronic disease, and I know we're talking about performance here, but you know, athletes also need to be healthy, and I believe that's really true for performance, is a diet that's predominantly plant-based. And some people will elect to completely leave, eliminate the animal products, whereas other people might incorporate it, you know, once a week or just on Thanksgiving or, you know, just mm-hmm. to celebrate. So I think that, you know, if that's that's what you're asking, then I think that's um, definitely people vary. Um, I don't know about, or, uh, or at least I don't think you're asking about people who really just want to live on meat predominantly only, have chicken breasts for dinner only with hardly anything else. Yeah, we try to crack the, the protein myth that you have to be on a meat diet, which, you know, Scott is a, a running example for that you don't, and um, sometimes... You know, the, the argument comes that works for one, which is absolutely true, but not for others. But getting your perspective on that is, um, you know, wonderful. And to know that more people than not feel much better being on a plant-based diet, even as athletes, is that's a great testament to how our dietary choices affect our overall well-being and performance ability. Um, that's Dr. Inette Larson-Meyer from the University of Wyoming. Thank you for joining us today on the show. Such a pleasure to have you. She's the author of Vegetarian Sports Nutrition, Food Choices, and Eating Plans for Fitness and Performance. Inet, do you have a website that people can find out more of what you do? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have it in front of me. Okay, I I think it is, let me, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the University of Wyoming dot edu forward slash fcs for faculty staff and then you can look up dr annette larson and all her great work thank you for joining us again pleasure to have you 
Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And um, topic today is peak performance, nutrition for athletes. We'll take a super quick break and be back in just a sec. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. The timing was, uh, yeah. Anyway, we're almost out of time, but what a fascinating <laughs> show. Actually, yeah, I, I think Scott's story and Inette's wisdom, it's just fascinating to me that the myth of, you know, as a big bodybuilder, you have to eat, or as a boxer, of course, you have to eat four steaks a day, right? It's just yeah. not, simply not true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's I, fair to say. So, and <laughs> I, and I, great. Completely got lost in that show. Wonderful. I love how both of their wisdom was basically listen to yourself, right? With Scott, he's like, I get a lot of time to think about how my body feels and what I put into it. And Annette is saying, you don't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to say, I'm an extremist and I don't eat any of this. It's just plant-based, which is yeah. the key. Well, share your stories with us, please. Our listeners um, always invited your comments and questions and stories. Send them to share at an organic conversation Dot com. We love to hear from you. Share at anorganicconversation.com. And also, since we're on it, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. And there's a real conversation happening, an organic conversation, about <laughs> postings that we are placing there. And, you know, the organic debate is continued there throughout the week. Again, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. Join us and spread the word. Thank you. And we didn't have a chance to get to my holistic bite today because we were all so engaged in the conversation, but you will find that on our website, anorganicconversation.com, or on our Facebook page. I had some tips about corn because that's one of my favorite summer produce picks, like what we talked about in What's in Season. And it's actually a recipe for sweet corn and champagne risotto. So I'm going to talk about the risotto method, which is really the secret to something really creamy and warming and delicious and authentically Italiano. Wonderful. That's anorganicconversation.com or facebook.com forward slash conversation. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.